Amen. First Kings, the book of First Kings, chapter 18. We are in the midst of a series on the life and times of Elijah the prophet. First Kings, chapter 18. So last week, we saw that God told Elijah, his prophet, to go to Ahab, this wicked king of Israel, and basically declare a drought upon the nation. This drought obviously was literal. It was a physical drought due to lack of rain. But it was also symbolic of something very important that God wanted to show his people in a very real and visible way. And that was that the rain that God was withholding was symbolic of his refreshing and his blessing that he wants to pour out on his people. And the reason why his people were not experiencing his reign and his blessing at that point was because they had forsaken him. They had entered into idolatry and they were following and chasing after other gods. And so God, in a very real way, says, because you have turned your heart away from me, because you have turned your mind away from me, and you no longer are engaged with me, it's not going to rain. And it's going to show you that the dryness and the drought that is coming upon the nation of Israel is very symbolic of what the nation of Israel as a whole is experiencing and what individuals within the nation are experiencing. They're going through a tremendous drought and dryness in their life because they've turned away from God. Now, I want to say this. There are times in our Christian life where we are going to just go through times of spiritual dryness, if you will. That's all part of the sort of the ebb and flow of our walk with God. But if you and I are ever in a, in a situation where we are in an extended period of dryness and drought, we better start to be willing to look within and go, Am I not truly giving my heart and mind to the Lord? Am I not really engaged spiritually with my God? Is the reason why I'm experiencing such dryness and drought in my life is because I have truly not put the Lord first in my life and I have followed other things and other things are capturing my attention and energy and interest more than my God is? Because it's exactly where the nation of Israel was at. And the whole reason why God was withholding the rain from Israel and that they were experiencing such dryness and drought is actually because he wanted to use that to try to draw them and turn them back to him. He wanted them to come back to them. And he, he knew that it was maybe only going to be through going through a really difficult time that they would be willing to finally look up and go, okay, God, I acknowledge you now. I'm done with what I want to do. 
I'm going to acknowledge you. And that's exactly why Elijah had the ministry he had. That's exactly why God was withholding the rain. Because God wanted to wake up his people and turn them back to him. In fact, before we get into a little bit of this this morning, notice this in verse 37 of 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18 verse 37, where the prophet Elijah is praying here over his sacrifice. And he says, answer me, O Lord, answer me. We saw last week, the Lord is the answer. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are the true God and that you are winning back their allegiance. Literally in the Hebrew, you are turning, changing, transforming their heart and mind is what it says in the Hebrew language. Because their heart and mind had been turned away from God and turned to other things. So all that God was doing was, again, to turn his people. And again, we're not talking about people that were pagan. We're not talking about people that did not know God or have his word or anything. We're talking about the nation of Israel. We're talking about his people who had all of this. And his people had turned away from him So he was turning them, seeking to turn them back to him. The other thing is this. We have seen that Elijah has talked about serving the Lord. And that serving God is, first of all, presenting myself to God. Making myself available. Service is not primarily doing what I want, when I want, and where I want. It is primarily giving myself over to God and say, God, what do you want? And where do you want me to do it? And when do you want me to do it? That's part of service. But the other part of that word serve in the Hebrew language also means this. To take a stand. To be willing to stand up for God and stand against certain things and, and to hold our ground spiritually. What we've learned then in linking last week's message on 1 Kings uh, 17 to this week's message in 1 Kings 18 is this. Though Elijah is going to take a stand for God in this chapter, the only reason and way he was able to take a stand for God in this chapter was because he was willing to stand with God in the last chapter. That he was making himself available to God and saying, God, here I am. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to be in your presence. And and I'm going to do what you want, when you want, where you want. And then God begins to empower and energize his servants to be able to make a stand for him in the society and culture in which they live. That's why in chapter 18, verse 1. It says sometime later in the third year of the famine. So the famine's been going on for a long time because the drought, three years without rain up to this point in the nation of Israel. So the Lord told Elijah, go, make an appearance before Ahab. Literally, present yourself before the king of Israel and take a stand. So that, notice, I may send rain on the surface of the ground. See, God wanted to send rain for his people. God wants to bless his people. But God will not send his abundant blessings and his rain and refreshment on people 
who know him and yet turn their hearts away from him. He will not bless them in that condition. What he will do is what he did with the nation of Israel. He will send a time of dryness and drought into our hearts and minds, hoping that we will get to a point where we will be tired of living in that condition and we will turn back to him, the only source of life and refreshment and restoration. And so he sends Elijah back up to Ahab and says, take a stand. So I want you to notice in verse 15, Of that same chapter, Elijah said to the prophet Obadiah, as certainly as the Lord of God, Israel, or the Lord who rules over all lives, I, whom I serve, I will make an appearance before the king today. I will make my stand. I will take a stand before the very king of Israel. Now, God, I think, wants us to take a stand as his people. But again, the only way we will ever take a stand for or against certain things is when we are standing with God at all times, having him empower us and strengthen us. Because a weak people, a spiritually weak people will not take stands. We won't. We will back off. And we need to have Christians today more than ever within the church be willing to stand up and take the stands that we need to take as God's people in our society today. And one of the reasons why, as we're going to see many today in this passage, is because there are even people of God who are living on their past or living off their past. They're they're living off the fumes of what they did for God many years ago, but they're not keeping their relationship and their fire with God and their fire for God current in the moment. And Obadiah, this guy that Elijah meets here in these first 15 verses of this chapter, is an illustration of that. I don't want to minimize what Obadiah did. You can read it for yourself later. But basically, Obadiah, when Jezebel was going around killing all the good prophets in Israel, trying to shut them up. Obadiah, who was working inside the palace of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, hid 100 of the prophets so they could have their lives spared. That's great. I I commend Obadiah for taking a stand for God at that moment and doing that. He saved 100 prophets' lives. But he's gotten to a point now when he meets Elijah where his faith is no longer current, where he's, you know, worried and concerned about things that if he had kept his relationship current with God, he would have never gotten in that place. And all he keeps talking about is he keeps referring back to the time in the past when, you know, I hit a hundred prophets for God, right? Yeah. What are you doing now? Is your relationship with God current? And because he didn't keep it current, notice the fear in his words in verse 12 when he meets Elijah. And Elijah basically tells Obadiah, Obadiah, will you go back to King Ahab and tell him I want to meet with him today? Here's Obadiah's words, verse 12 of 1 Kings 18. When I leave you, the Lord's spirit will carry you away so I can't find you. And I'll go and tell Ahab I've seen you and he won't be able to find you and he will kill me. 
That would not be fair. Because your servant has been a loyal follower of the Lord from my youth. Certainly my master is aware of what I did when Jezebel was killing the Lord's prophets. I hid 100 of the Lord's prophets in two caves and two groups of 50. And I brought them food and water. Remember what I did? Again, that's great, Obadiah. But you are an illustration of a lot of the people of God throughout history. Who, who was at a, a strong point at some point in their lives. And man, God was using them and, and they were willing to take a stand for God. But because they didn't keep growing and they didn't keep moving forward in their relationship with God, all they could ever refer to, all they could ever reference, all they could ever look to was what I used to do. And re- remember what I did a couple years ago? And God always wants his people to keep our relationship current so that We won't fall into fear and we won't think, oh, God's spirit's somehow going to take you away and and somehow God's going to bring me to a point where I die. Come on, Obadiah. Where's your relationship with God now? Where is it now? See, that's why the Psalms talk to us as Christians and as followers of God about about singing new songs to the Lord. Because there's nothing wrong with the old songs. But God always wants us to be growing in our relationship and worship with him where we can always talk in new ways and fresh ways about what God's doing in our life. Not just going back to what God did year ago or five years ago or ten years ago, but making it now. And that's why we need people like Elijah and people today within the church to take a stand for God. Because what that will hopefully do is stir those believers in God and those followers of God who are living off the fumes of their past and get them motivated and fired up and stirred up and inspired to bring their relationship into the here and now and make it current. The second reason why We need people like Elijah to take a stand is because there are many followers of God throughout history who have been intimidated by our spiritual enemies and by those who oppose us and push back. Notice what the word of God says, beginning in verse 16. When Obadiah went and informed Ahab, the king went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is it really you, the one who brings disaster on Israel? Isn't that the way it always is? The people who really cause the trouble end up pointing the finger at somebody else and not taking responsibility for it. It's it's your fault, Elijah. You're the prophet of God. You caused all this. Instead of looking at himself and going, maybe I was the cause of this, which is what Elijah says. Elijah replied, I have not brought disaster on Israel, but you and your father's dynasty have by avoiding and abandoning the Lord's commandments. And now you're following the Baals. You're following false gods. That's what brought the dryness. That's what brought the drought. The people of God have forsaken their God. So here's what Elijah says. Verse 19. Send out messengers and assemble all Israel before me at Mount Carmel. As well as the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah whom Jezebel supports. That's one against 850. Not very good odds usually, right? 
But the reason why Elijah and any follower of God can take a stand against whatever is in front of us is because if we are standing with God and we know that this is what God wants of us, then we also have faith to know that God will give us the strength. He will give us the power. He will give us the victory. He will fight our battle for us. And it doesn't matter if it's one against 10,000. If God is for us, who can be against us? And so that's why Elijah was not intimidated. Because if you read the Bible, it's never about that anyway. Listen, Christian. The enemies of God will always have more power, more strength from a human perspective, more resources, more everything than we have. That's the way God wants it. So that when God gives his children and his people victory, we're not the ones that get the credit and glory for it. He does. That's why he allows a little guy like David to go out against a giant like Goliath and slay him. So that David didn't get the glory, but God did. That's why God told Gideon, you keep cutting your numbers of your army down. Because it's not going to be by the size of your army, Gideon, that you win this victory. It's going to be by my might and power and me enabling you. Don't be intimidated by the greater strength and forces and resources of our enemies. They will always be greater. God wants us to trust him and not be intimidated by our spiritual enemies and our opposition. Because if God is with us, he'll give us the victory no matter how big the odds are stacked against us. And that's why Elijah had the strength to go, I might be the only one, but I'm going to stand up for God. I'm going to take a stand, bring all the false prophets of the land of Mount Carmel. It's one against 850 and they're going down. Boy, we need that kind of attitude within Christianity today, where we stop being intimidated. All that we need to care about as followers of God is, is God in this? Is God leading us to do this? Is this what God wants? Then it doesn't matter what the opposition looks like. See, the nation of Israel lost track of that all the time. That's why when they sent spies into the land, the land that God promised, I'll give you. Don't worry about. No, we can't do that. There's giants in the land. And they got their eyes off of their God and they got it on to their opposition and to the enemy and to the bigness of their enemy and the bigness of the obstacle in their way. And God is saying to his people, you stand with me and you'll be able to stand for me. And no amount of opposition or enemy or whatever that stands in front of you will be able to stand in front of me. It will all fall. Because no opposition, no obstacle, no challenge before us as God's people can stand up against God. And that's what Elijah wanted to teach the people of Israel. Don't be intimidated. Don't be afraid. Stand up for what you know is right. Regardless of how many oppose. The other reason we need to be willing to take a stand like Elijah is because there's so many people who claim to be the people of God who are indecisive. Read this with me in verse 20. Ahab sent messengers to all the Israelites and had the prophets assemble at Mount Carmel. Elijah then approached all the people 
and said, how long are you going to be paralyzed by indecision? If the Lord is the true God, then follow or live for him. If Baal is, then follow him. And notice, the people were so weak spiritually at this point in their lives, they didn't say a word. They didn't even have an answer for Elijah. Very interestingly, the word paralyzed can also be interpreted in the Hebrew as dance. And basically what Elijah was saying is, you keep dancing with this one, then you leave that one and you start dancing with it and you just keep going around just dancing with different things. And he's saying, if God is God, quit being indecisive. Quit quit like, well, I'm, I'm serving the Lord and I'm going to live for him this much, but I'm really not going to be all in because I want to dance with this over here. And that's the way a lot of Christians live their lives. It's like, we're not really wholeheartedly committed to God because we're dancing with this thing over here or this one over here and then we'll come back to God. You know, God's one of the things that we dance with, but but we don't just dance just with Him. And when we do that, like Elijah says in like the Hebrew language, we literally become paralyzed. We become weak because we're not all in with God. And God's people have got to come to a point where we stop saying, yes, God is God. Yes, I believe in God. I believe he's alive. I believe he's real. And I believe I'm a follower of God. Then Elijah would say to us, then why aren't you all in with God? Why are you half committed? Why is your commitment half-hearted? If you really believe that, then why are you not all in? And one of the reasons why God wants his people to take a stand so decisively, like Elijah, is because, again, hopefully it will inspire, it will stir, it will motivate other followers of God who have one foot in the world And sort of one foot in their relationship with God to go, you know what? It's time to stop just sort of playing church and playing games with God. It's time to finally be all in. And people like Elijah in our lives can stir others to do that. And so we are beginning to see the many reasons why God calls his people to take stands. Because there are those who are living off the fumes of their past and their past only. There there are those who are intimidated constantly by their spiritual opposition and enemies. They're afraid and they live in fear. And we need to have people who take a stand because there's so many, even within the church today, just like in Israel, who are indecisive. They dance with God for a while, but then they change partners and dance with somebody else for a while too. There's another reason why. Very sad. If you go down to verse 24, we'll set this up. So Elijah proposes basically a contest. He says, here's how we're going to determine who the real God is. Because remember, Baal was the weather God, the God of life. Um, So if he truly can withhold rain or make it rain with it, then what's he been doing the last couple of years? And and, and if, if he can bring down 
things from heaven like lightning and thunder, then he can bring fire down as well. So Elijah basically says this, verse 24. Then you will invoke the name of your God. He's talking to the false prophets, all the false prophets on Mount Carmel. Can you imagine? Let me me set this scene. The nation of Israel as a whole, not every last Israelite, but the nation of Israel, they have assembled on this great mountain in the nation of Israel. I mean, we think some of these football games and, and contests and Olympics and all that have great crowds watching what goes on. This would have been equal, if not more than what happens in great stadiums today. Because here it is, 850 false prophets against one who's willing to stand for God. And all the nation of Israel is there going, I can't wait to see how this turns out. And Elijah, even though he's outnumbered, he's calling the shots. And and he's willing to be in enemy territory, basically saying, you go first, you do all this, and let's see what happens. If your God is real, then it'll happen. If my God is real, then he'll be the one to answer from fire, with fire from heaven. Let's see who the real God is. It's, it's time to decide. So he says to the false prophet, do you invoke the name of your God and I will invoke the name of the Lord. The God who responds with fire, with supernatural fire, will demonstrate that he is the true God. And all the people responded, hey, this is, this is agreeable. <laughs> This will be a fair test. This is good. Let, let's, let's bring it out. Let's, let's let it happen. So Elijah told the prophets of Baal, verse 25, you choose one of the bulls for yourselves. You go first. You're the majority. You start invoking the name of your God. Let's see if he can light the fire. Another reason why God asks his people to take a stand for him is because there are people in all generations that Christians live among who are in deep darkness and who are desperate. And they need to see that God is real so that hopefully they won't stay in the state of desperation and darkness that they are in. You want to talk about darkness? I won't go through all of this, but basically here's what the Bible says happens. These false prophets start start yelling to their God, Baal. Come on, Baal. You know, put fire down. Show these people that you are real and that you're God. Nothing. No answer. No sound. No response. And so they start yelling louder. They get a little bit more desperate. And they're calling out to someone or something that can bring them no help at all. They're like people today who have swallowed so many lies in their life and they are in such darkness that the things that they think will help them are no help at all. If they were ever really in a crisis situation, if they were really in crunch time and they started to seek help, they would find the same thing that the prophets of Baal found. They really can't help because they're forsaking the only one who's the answer. The only one who can really help them is the Lord God. And they are not calling out to him. They're seeking help from something or someone else other than God. And they get pretty desperate. 
In fact, the Bible says they get so desperate that they're yelling and then they start, they start dancing around because they're thinking, maybe if we just move more, maybe we put forth more effort and more energy, our God or whoever we're trying to get help from will pay more attention to us. And how sad and how pitiful the condition is that no matter how much energy and no matter how sincere they are and no matter how much they put forth, there's no sound, there's no response at all. Till finally the Bible says, they get to this. They begin to take out knives and they begin to literally cut themselves and mutilate their bodies to where the Bible says literally blood was pouring out of their bodies and they were covered with blood as they tried to appease and appeal to their God. Nothing. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 29. Throughout the afternoon, they were all in an ecstatic frenzy. Literally in the Hebrew, they were under the influence of demonic spirits. But notice, there was no sound, no answer, no response, nothing. The reason, folks, God wants us to take a stand for him is because he loves those people who are in darkness. And he wants to reach them. And he wants to pull them out of darkness just like he pulled us out of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. But how are those people in darkness ever going to see the light if the church hides its light? How are they ever going to see the reality of God if we're not willing to take a stand? People today, just like in Elijah's day, are in such deep darkness. They're hopeless. They're frustrated. They live their life on drugs 24 hours a day. They do everything they can to cope with the pain that they have going in life. And they don't know how to deal with anything. And you and I live amongst them all over the place. They are everywhere in this world. And we need to stand up so that they see that there is a God who loves them, who died for them, who will forgive them, and who will set them free. Elijah prepares his sacrifice. And I want to bring you now back to the verse we started with. Verse 37. Where the Bible says that Elijah says, answer me, O Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you are the Lord, that you are the true God and that you are winning back their allegiance. Then fire, supernatural fire fell from the Lord and fell from the sky. It consumed the offering, the wood, the stones, the dirt, even licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they threw themselves down with their faces to the ground and said, the Lord is the true God. The Lord is the true God. And then we're introduced in verse 43 to a servant of Elijah. And I wanted to just mention him at this point because another reason why God wants his people to take a stand is because when we do, we can positively impact and influence other people around us. 
not just make a statement to those who are in darkness, but literally it might be the one thing that those people need to come to a point where they're willing to turn back to God. And that's what we see here. If Elijah would have never been willing to take a stand for God, would these people have repented? The reason they repented is because Elijah was willing to be an instrument in his God's hands and say, here am I, Lord. Send me before these people. I'm outnumbered. I'm outgunned. All of this. But I'm willing to take a stand for you in the society in which I live because these people need to turn their hearts back to you. And not all of them did, but many of them did. And think about the influence and the impact Elijah had on his servant. When after this dramatic display and the prophets of Baal are killed, that Elijah says, now go up there, servant, and look out from Mount Carmel and look towards the Mediterranean Sea, which, by the way, you can see the Mediterranean Sea from Mount Carmel, and begin to look for those storm clouds, because I believe in the promise of God. Think about that positive influence on that servant's life. That's why God wants us to take a stand. Well, How could Elijah be so confident in the battle in which he found himself? He seemed to be in such control and so confident about what he was doing and all that. How could he be so confident? I'm going to share it with you. Go back up to verse 36. When it was time for the evening sacrifice or evening offering... Elijah the prophet approached the altar and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And this is the key. Don't miss these last words of verse 36. And I have done all these things at your command. That's the key to the whole passage. That's why Elijah could be so confident. That's why he could take a stand because everything that he had done that we are reading about in this chapter was because the Lord told him to do it. He was simply following the word of God. He was letting the word of God guide him. And because he knew this was God's word and that he could trust it, he could rely on it, he could depend on it. That's what brought such confidence. That's why he was able to challenge the 850 prophets. Because he heard the voice of God tell him, you take a stand for me, Elijah, and I'll take a stand for you. I'll be with you. I won't leave you or forsake you. I will make sure that you are vindicated, Elijah, because you're willing to take a stand for me. I am always willing to take a stand for you. And folks, we as God's people need to hear that as well. Every one of us needs to be reminded that we never take a stand for God, that he's not right there with us. And that he's not willing to take a stand for us. And that's why we can enter into the battle with confidence. Because we're simply following the leading and will and desires of God. And we're doing everything by his word. Not what's our opinion. Not what we feel. Not what we think. But I've done all these things according to your word. I want to jump off that point and show you this great thought. Notice in verse 41. After the prophets of Baal are killed. By the way, let me make a comment there. I got a couple minutes. 
Many people read verse 40 about, oh my goodness, Elijah ordered all, the, all these prophets to be murdered? Yeah. Because you know what? In our lives, when we take a stand for God or for what we need to, that automatically means we're taking a stand against something else. See, we live in a world today where, oh, you, you don't take a stand against anything. Everything's acceptable. Everything. We just got to be tolerant and, and willing to just put up with whatever because we all got to get along. And when God is involved, he's told his people throughout history, you got to take a stand for truth. And if that means taking a stand against what's false, so be it. It's false. It's not true. It won't set anybody free. It's only going to destroy our society and our world. We need to take a stand for truth, which then in turn logically means I'm taking a stand against something else. And when we begin to take stands for God, that means we will also begin to remove all negative influences. We won't try to keep negative influences around and go, I can manage these negative influences. No, we get rid of them, which is exactly what Elijah did. What should have happened actually back in Joshua's day, if Joshua and the people of Israel would have obeyed God, when God said, you go into the land and all these false prophets, you destroy them. You, You find a false prophet, he's dead. You wipe out his influence in the nation of Israel. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to coddle them. We're going to manage it. We'll we'll be okay. We'll let this negative influence stay here, but it won't affect us. There's a lot of Christians that have bought into that false philosophy. I can leave this negative influence here and somehow I can control it and I can manage it. It won't negatively affect me. Yeah, it does. That's why Jesus said, if your right hand offends you, what did he say? Cut it off. Remove the negative influence. Don't play with it. Don't try to manage it. Don't try to control it because we can't get rid of it. Remove it. And that's why Elijah had the false prophets out of Israel so that they could start off fresh with the true word of God and not have those negative influences hovering around Israel any longer. But Elijah told Ahab, verse 41, I'm going to get a drink, I promise. Go up and eat and drink. For the sound of a heavy rainstorm can be heard. There's not even a cloud yet we're going to see. How can someone, I mean, I know people think Christians are crazy. How can someone hear the sound of something that hasn't even materialized yet? Hold on, this is cool. The word sound in the Hebrew language everywhere else in the Old Testament is translated voice. In fact, most of the time, it's translated God's voice. So what Elijah is really saying is, I heard God's voice, and I continue to hear God's voice tell me a rainstorm is coming. So I don't need to actually see the clouds of the rainstorm. If God said a rainstorm is coming, I'm still hearing his voice, and I know those clouds will come. And I know that rain will come. So once again, Elijah is an illustration of someone who's being guided by the word of God, by what God has spoken to him, the voice of God in his head and in his heart. He's not guided by whether he actually sees the clouds yet or not. So Ahab went up and ate and drank. While Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and started to look with his servant 
for the approach of the storm and the rain. Because God was going to send rain. Why was God going to send rain? Because the people of Israel had repented. They had turned their hearts back to him. And that was going to open up the heavens. And God's rain and God's blessing was once again going to fall on the nation of Israel. Good time once again. But I want to end with this. In verses 41 Through 46, you see a great contrast between the prophet Elijah and the king Ahab. Ahab goes back up to his house, just starts eating and drinking, occupied with himself, while Elijah and his servant climb up to Mount Carmel again, and they're occupied with the Lord and his promise. And sad to say, after all that Ahab has seen and experienced, Ahab goes back up to his house, totally unchanged. Totally unchanged. And I think what God impressed upon me as I finished out this chapter was, Jeff, don't leave what I do in your life unchanged. Don't don't allow me to show you what I can do and who I am and to, to, to bear all the experiences around you of, of all this, and yet you remain unchanged. God does not want his people to ever be unchanged when we encounter God. God always wants us to leave his presence changed. And so today, it is my hope and prayer for all of us that we won't just have another encounter with God and like Ahab, just go home and eat our lunch and drink and hang out this afternoon and just make it business as usual. We're just the same old person now that we were when we walked in this lobby about an hour ago. Unchanged. And tomorrow we're going to wake up and we're going to face this new week and we're pretty much going to be the same person we were when the weekend started on Friday evening. Nothing's changed. That's like Ahab. And and folks, God doesn't want us to follow in the footsteps of Ahab. God wants us to follow in the footsteps of Elijah. God wants us to walk in his power and strength and in his confidence. And he wants us to always be forever changed. Are you willing to let God change you today and to leave here Changed, Not the same as when you walk through those doors. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for including the story of Elijah in the word of God. Because Lord, you can use him even today and his example for all of us about what it means to serve you what it means to take a stand for you, and why it's so vital and so important and so necessary for the people of God in all generations to be willing to stand up for Jesus and take a stand. God, there are people all around us, whether they're Christians or whether they're living in darkness, they need a clear-cut, decisive testimony about your reality in this world today. 
And the only way, Lord, that they're going to see that is when we as God's people are willing to allow you to live and breathe and work through us every day. So God, change us so that others can be changed as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.